0: Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. This week I speak to Helen Barnes. Helen got into education by chance when she was given the job of a learning mentor in secondary education in the SEND department. The role of a learning mentor is a complex one, involving many demanding responsibilities. These include ensuring that education healthcare plan outcomes are being worked towards, Liaising with parents and staff, providing students with emotional support, whether they're SEND or not, and sometimes having to supervise children who have expressed intentions of suicide. In this episode, Helen teaches me all about the role of a learning mentor, its challenges, and the things that she loved about the job.
1: I think you have to realise that there's only so much you can do as a per- as one person, but as long as you know you're listening and looking for for the signs that say, right, you know, maybe I need to intervene here or speak to someone about this. I think that's what it is. Don't become overwhelmed.
0: We also have a good chat about expensive childcare, secondary education, children with additional needs, wellbeing in education, handwriting, and the increase in childhood poverty. A lot is covered in this episode, and you can find all the relevant links of topics that pop into our conversation in the episode summary. I should also warn our listeners that we do discuss intentions of suicide in secondary education. If this is something you need support and advice on, I have added some websites to the episode summary. So let's get to it. Helen Barnes, SEND Learning Mentor in Secondary Education. Welcome Helen to the Mindfulness for Learning
1: podcast. Thank you.
0: It's lovely to have you here.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited actually. Yes. A bit nervous and a bit excited.
0: Well, it's a subject that I don't feel like I know a lot about and actually your role that we're going to be talking about today, I because you were in secondary education, it's mm. quite new to me so I'm really intrigued by it. Um, and you've come on here today to talk about a job that you're no longer in. We'll get to, get to that later. But it's a role that's considered quite complex and definitely demanding. Mm. It's the role of a learning mentor in the SEND department, so that's Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. And it's in a secondary school. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about your background, career-wise, and how you got to become an SEND learning mentor?
1: Yeah, so I, I was in banking, from when I was about 18 to 27 maybe. Um, I resigned after having children and when I left, I was a branch manager. And then due to a relationship breakup, I kind of retrained. I couldn't go back into banking for different reasons. So I retrained um, in makeup and eyelashes, kind of beauty to allow me to work and support the children and do it around kind of school and childcare. Um, and then COVID happened and I couldn't work mm. and I just thought, you know, what, I just, I just want a job now. That's not lying on myself. Does that yeah. make sense? And so I, had, oh, I spent so long applying for all these different jobs in the local borough and, not that I have the greatest CV in the world, but I've I've achieved quite a lot and I achieved quite a lot early. Yeah. Um, I found it so hard getting interviews, rarely ever called back and, um, yeah, not even kind of supervising lunches. And this was one of the roles that I'd applied for. And I remember thinking, do you know what? The school is round the corner, I'm going to get this job. Yeah. And it was the only school that called me back for an interview and I, and they gave me the job that day. So yeah. I kind of landed into it. By accident really.
0: Were they all education jobs that you were applying for or was it a, a, like kind of everything and anything? Yeah
1: it was education because of the children and I was living on my own um so it, I needed to do something that I could do the pick up and drop off or that allowed me to have the school holidays with them because I just wouldn't have been able to afford childcare. Yeah in a in a normal job well that's
0: a whole other conversation isn't it i mean yeah. we, we've been talking a lot <laughs> me and my parent friends about i feel so lucky that i get the summer off mm. but just watching parents just trying to manage that six weeks it is crazy that we don't have a system in place a more supportive system for parents just imagining you know for six weeks that you can just not work or pay an
1: absolute fortune to have your children at Tafta is is a crazy thought isn't it yeah, that is the cost, isn't it? I yeah. before when I was um, self-employed, I'd often put them both in for the day and see two clients. And by the time I'd done that, I just I broke even. Yeah. And then it was what was the point of that? I could have spent the day with my children.
0: Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah,
1: it definitely. I definitely was looking at education.
0: Okay, so you managed to get this job. Yes. Um, and just just for listeners and for me actually what is the difference because in primary school you don't have learning mentors I mean you have is it the the equivalent of a teaching assistant in secondary or is it more complicated
1: so. No, I definitely think it's on a, it's a it's a TA level. Right. Um I would say in secondary schools well the school that I worked in there wasn't um one-to-one support TAs in the classroom. Right. Um, so the children were in the classroom on their own with their teacher and we would kind of support them outside the classroom. So, you know, if if they were dyslexic and they were in the classroom and we realised actually the teacher wasn't providing them the yellow paper they need or the, um, the yellow backdrops on their presentations or maybe a reading ruler, we would be sorting things like that out for them.
0: So what about if they had a statement? They didn't have a one-to-one working with them? No.
1: Okay. So... This is because I've only worked in the one school. I'm, I'm not sure if this is across all schools or how our school worked. Um, it was, with, we called ourselves, it was like an all inclusive. So, you know, we wouldn't segregate people and take them out of the classroom for one to one learning. They stayed in the classroom. But if they were statemented and it said, you know, they need X amount of one to one hours, it was kind of done outside of the classroom so we could say yeah I've actually spent this amount of time with this child over the week but it wasn't sitting next to him in the classroom and and helping them in that way
0: okay so they they, the idea was to keep them in class as much as possible
1: yes yeah
0: because I know there was a report done in May 2021 by the government that stated that sometimes they're they're too isolated from their peers they're taken Mm. out too much I guess it's finding that balance so you're you're working as a learning mentor, and I'm guessing that you're working alongside a SENCO?
1: Yes, yeah. A
0: coordinator. So is that person managing your role?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So we, our SENCO, had um, about 11 learning mentors. Oh, okay. Um, yes, yeah, so we were, and we were a fairly new school. We only had f- oh, four-year groups at the time. Right. Um, so we were growing every year, and yes, we had 11 learning mentors that would support across, and it was for all areas of SEND we would support, as well as other children with mental health issues.
0: OK. And how was that? Because this is... We're talking post... Well, during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Yes. So, I mean, you hadn't had an experience of mental health pre-pandemic, but what was it looking like dur- during and after?
1: I say after, yeah, it's not it, over. but It was tough, actually. Mm. And especially when the year seven started they hadn't finished year six really because they had been off for months and I think they found it really tough kind of they were off from what the March 2020 Mm, and then suddenly they came back to school in September and we just expected them to come in and sit down and follow the rules we had extremely long lessons they were 100 minutes long so it was four lessons a day and they were 100 minutes long with a like a substantial break in between and we kind of just expected them to come in and sit down and and kind of know the rules of the classroom and know how to behave but actually they had been out of socialization for a long time
0: yeah was there Um, were there things put in place that were mindful of that were there changes made and um, did the SENCO put anything in place that would, you know, make make changes to your provision to help with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the first, definitely the first term, we had wellbeing rooms every break and lunch. Right. So we had, um, so there would be form time, a lesson, uh, I think it was about a 20-minute break, um, a lesson, a lunch, a lesson, a break. So all of them breaks we had different rooms open and because the school was split up so they didn't cross bubbles we had to have a room in each bubble
0: right okay and they
1: were they were manned by learning mentors and it was just for children to come and sit and you know talk to us about if they were worried about anything or if they hadn't made any friends yet they could come to that room and there'd be other people in their year group there yeah um, and w- And was that effective
0: became. Do you, how equipped did you feel as a learning mentor? To deal with the the problems that the children were bringing to
1: you, I definitely think that they didn't bring any issues during breaks and lunch i I found out that a lot of children wanted to talk to me during lesson time right ra- okay. rather than using their own time, so they didn't want yeah. to come and talk to me during break and lunch because they're with their friends yeah, um, but it would be oh can you can you come and get me from lesson to talk to me right um, okay yeah so I know and because they're older children as well they're quite aware (laughs) of you know I'm going to get out of history next yeah um yeah and I found a lot of the time I would just listen and think right what's kind of going on here and kind of gauge from other members of staff situations that might be similar and who I would go to to support with that I think it was definitely a learn in the role job yeah Um, do you think
0: it should be that Looking back, do you think you needed more help, more training, more support to deal with your role? Or did you go in and think, no, this this makes sense, I can learn this as I go?
1: No, I definitely thought, wow, within a week or so I was dealing with issues that I thought, oh, this is way above my head. Right. Um, what was your expectation
0: it, of the role before you took it? What did you think day-to-day life might look like?
1: I thought that it would be a really, like, a nurturing, like, loving kind of role. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, that... I thought that we would be like this kind of safe space in the school that, you know, children would come to and it would be like a home away from home.
0: Mm.
1: But in reality, it was, you know, I had my own timetable, so I had my own lessons that I had to go and supervise um, where I was the only teacher there or member of staff, adult. Mm. And a lot of my week was timetabled. So it meant that I needed... A lot of time to kind of mop up the children that I needed to see, and then I was thinking, right, I need to get some training as well because there's issues here that I don't really know what's happening yeah. or how to deal with it properly. There was training available, um, but obviously within a school you need to you need to request that time that lesson off to attend that training. It comes down to
0: time again. Yeah. You haven't got time to to be that nurturing person and you haven't got time to learn how to deal with the bigger issues. So it's, you just have to see each day as it comes.
1: This is it. And I think because I've only ever not, I've never been involved in a primary school, but I've only ever dealt with primary school because I have primary age children. Mm. I just thought it would be that kind of community feel. And actually I found secondary school to be quite harsh. Yeah. And it was very much, you know, you're an adult now, you know, stay in your lesson, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And there wasn't much of that, Okay, come and sit and talk, because then it would be like, you know, why are you sitting there talking? You need to be getting children into their lesson. And, you know, I just found it, it was hard to balance the two. Yeah. So I I do definitely feel like if I was ever going to go back to a school, I feel like a primary school would be where I would want to be. Yeah. Because I feel like I could nurture more yeah I mean I've never
0: worked in a secondary so I'm not sure but I you still deal with that I recognize that um, Mm. feeling that you're describing of of having this idea of how you want to do things but the reality is so different and even in primary school I think it is working its way down to the point now where even EYFS practitioners are feeling that they can't look at the whole child because of the time constraints the accountability Mm. and that is such a sad thing to think that it's going all the way up can you give an example of what a day might look like for you? I mean, obviously, days are going to be very different in, in that world. But just a, um, what you might do first thing in the morning, just an, an outline.
1: So we had shifts because we were an extended day school. So we were open 8 till 5. Right. Um, and I was there from 10 till 5. Like the early shift would, you know be there in the morning to welcome the children. They would, you know, talk to the mentees. So we definitely had children with, you know, anxiety issues. Yeah. Um, Persistent school refusers that we had kind of agreed to meet early in the morning and we would just talk to them. Sometimes they wouldn't come in and they would go home and sometimes they would come in for a little while. So I know that the morning shift were very involved in setting children up for the day. Yeah. Especially our, our children that really struggled Um, with with getting into school or the anxiety of the day ahead. And some children just needed, just needed five minutes with someone to say, you know, this is what you've got today. You know, do you know where you're going for PE or... Yeah. And it was, it was definitely difficult for them because of COVID, it almost... School wasn't like the way I remembered school. You know, we didn't have children lining up in the corridors for their classrooms because we just couldn't risk crossing bubbles. So children lined up outside, and it was almost like these military operations. You know, they lined up in their class outside and they were escorted through the building yeah. to their classroom by their teacher, so they wouldn't kind of bump into each other. Or if I could see a year group coming, I could stop mine and let the others go. And So in the and, morning, the people
0: that are... So you've got some learning mentors shifted in for the morning, yeah. and they're there to... Work with SEND pupils, not everybody, just, or was it a case of whoever needed it, whether they were statemented, whether they had special educational needs, or maybe it was just a bit of anxiety?
1: Yeah, it was really whoever needed it.
0: So basically, I mean, I'm just thinking of how huge that job is, because there's not many teenagers that don't suffer with some level of anxiety, worry, well-being, Mm -hmm. something going on at home. So, I mean, how many pupils did you have? I mean, you said it was actually quite small because you just started, but how many pupils did you have? Do you know? Um, I think at the time it was about 861. And there's 11 of you.
1: Yeah. There was... I was about to say there was a pastoral team, but there was maybe two pastoral staff.
0: Yeah. What a huge job.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think all staff are meant to be um, emotionally available adults. mm Um, So you've obviously got tutors across every year group that should be doing this as well. Yeah. But I definitely found that that wasn't the case.
0: So like form tutors involved in the pastoral care, which I guess, again, comes down to time and training.
1: Yeah, Um, and, and their kind of rapport with each child because... The 30 children aren't all going to be best friends with one adult. You know, there's, there will be clashes there, personality mm. clashes, or they might just not like that adult. They might prefer another one of their teachers.
0: Yeah, that's complicated. And so when you came in at 10, what would be the first thing that you did usually?
1: Um, it would nearly be a break. So I would usually um, go off to a break duty. So whether that's okay. out in the playground, um, I would usually... I'd usually be with year sevens and nines. Yeah. So, and I knew a lot of them as well. And I would use them times to think, right, I know something is happening with so-and-so. I'll catch them in the playground. Mm.
0: So it would be up to you to decide what children to target?
1: Well, no. So I was allocated mentees that I was kind of um, not in charge of, but I was responsible for. um, When I started, I think I had about 16 right um so i was but then so they were the ones that i was officially responsible for that their parents would go through me for anything or you know i would deal with issues for them yeah but then there was lots and but they were children who were on the send register okay but then there was other children who might have been said oh helen can you start checking in with this girl for xyz reason and I would think, right, so I'd normally have another five or six on top of, on top that. of that. And were you but working every think, day? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then after that, it'd be a lesson, so I would probably go off to a lesson across any year group, year seven, eight, nine and ten. And you had
0: to have a mentee in that the class that you were going to
1: sit in, presumably? No, so them lessons were my lessons. I was the only adult in that room. So, so you were teaching? Although, no, I wasn't teaching, but I had to... So the school had um, independent learning lessons. Right. So it's basically, because it's an extended day, eight till five, they don't have homework at home. So it's all done during the school day. I see. And it means that children have access to their own computer and can sit and do the work because they might not have access to one at home. Um, You know, they might have overcrowding at home. They might have no internet.
0: Right, so, so this was made available almost like a home at school where they could go and get their homework done and have it support from you. It was just IT you.
1: rooms, IT rooms right. full of computers. Um, so I would be responsible for them. All teachers were responsible for them, but learning mentors had a lot of them. Right. So we were kind of used as additional staff to supervise these children in the room. So I would take a class of, you know, 30, 35, take them up to an IT room and they would sit and log on and do their work. Right, if they would do their work, it was a hundred minutes of you know. Please stop playing that game. Can you log on and show me what you're doing? And so a yeah, hundred it...
0: minutes of you being the only adult in the classroom. Yes. Yeah. And how did you find that? Did you feel equipped for that?
1: No, I didn't. I had no. I I didn't think that was going to be in the job. No. Um, and I received no. So before the school year started, all the new. All the new staff went to um what what is it called like a teacher training, a teacher expectations right day, an introduction yeah um but the the learning mentors weren't invited, so I had to uphold the same behavior standards and classroom expectations, but I had no idea what they were, Wow, so that's a hundred minutes every day.
0: Well, yeah. Sometimes
1: it... I would do two of them. I would do two of them lessons normally a day.
0: Right. And so, are you having to? You're not having to stand and teach, but you are having to support them doing work. So you're. Yes. Yeah. So definitely. And... were you aware of kind of if it was maths, for instance? The I'm thinking there's certain ways that we teach maths. So were you mm. aware of these methods that they were no. using?
1: So you just kind of no. had to learn on the job. So I believe, so their independent learning, they didn't ever have, I don't believe they had maths. No, they did. So when they had maths, it was, um, it was Hegarty maths. I've never heard of that. Which is like an that. online learning system. So it'd be okay. like refreshers of what they've done in class.
0: Okay, so it and is they, like
1: homework. And they each have tutorials. Yes, it was all done via a system that kind of set them. And the teachers, so if it was like geography work, the teachers would set PowerPoint slides with all mm. the information they needed to then do the work. Right. But then at the same time, there was a lot of, oh, miss, what do you know about this? And I would think, oh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's hard to support if you don't know how, isn't it?
1: And all of the all of the children were doing something completely different. So they weren't all doing the oh same work goodness. at the same time.
0: Wow. That is so So, it was, on. How many children
1: <laughs> what, are we talking here? Uh, it could be 30 to 35.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough. I'm just thinking in primary, when you're teaching 30 children... And obviously you differentiate your mm. your lessons or you scaffold the learning in different ways. And you yeah. that's difficult enough with the same objective. But if you've got children who have got several objectives and they're all learning differently,
1: mm. that's quite a task. I know that the teachers definitely did scaffold the work. Yeah. so they could pick, you know, which task they were doing and you know bronze silver gold or they they some teachers right. did it like a um like a nando's chili so they could pick the extra hot one or yeah you know and so they could pick their level of work yeah um, and that's why all the sen children in the school were spread out across the classes so it, we weren't they weren't banded in capability it was completely mixed classes and then each Each class, like you said, the teacher scaffolded the work. And do you think that worked? I definitely feel like there was a lot of behavioural issues, Mm. which then impacted on other people's learning. Yeah. Um, You then might have a child who, you know, has ADHD, who is medicated but is still, you know, bouncing off the walls, Mm. who feels like they're being told off a lot of the time because they're interrupting everyone else's learning. But it's not a fault of their own. Yeah. And... There was often times where I would kind of walk the school to go somewhere and might see a child I know outside. And I'm like, oh, why why are you outside now? And they'd say, oh, you know, I've interrupted, I've been sent out. And, and then they're upset because, you know, yeah. they feel like they're being told off. But it's something they can't stop.
0: No, that constant feeling of failure. And that's so yeah. hard on someone, anyone, let alone a child.
1: But then I had other students who were, you know, really high achievers who would say to me, oh, miss, so-and-so keeps tapping me every lesson or... And, Mm. and that would bother them because obviously we would do our seating plans to spread people out, but they would say, Oh, they keep, they keep touching me. They keep touching my stuff. And and then that's impacting their learning. So I I don't really know what's right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was in school, it was banded and, you know, we had our Mm. top sets and our bottom sets and the bottom sets may have had like six people in. And at the time I didn't think, Oh, that's six people with special, special educational needs. No. I was like, oh, that's just a class of people who aren't very smart,
0: right. wasn't it? Because yeah, we yeah. just
1: looked at things that in a top set and bottom set and there was no kind of highlight of special educational needs, whereas... Mm.
0: I think it's yeah. so it's such a difficult one and the one that comes up all the time, in this, this idea of mixed ability or not mm. mixed ability. And I think, you know, even in primary school when teachers say, well, we kind of have to stream them, they don't know about it. And I just think they do know. Children yeah, do, do know. They know where their places and they know mm. the people around them and like you say there are pros and cons to everything um and i think it's hard when when the groups remain the same and maybe you're with children that you don't like you say about the personalities it's just about mixing things up every now and then so people don't get stuck with the same people i think it's really important um so that you're trying
1: out different different makeups really these children with special educational needs were so intelligent Mm. like super intelligent and but you know maybe their focus wasn't there or they'd get distracted by something and, and I feel like they don't deserve to be in a class of just five people no. no, they should be receiving the same education as everyone else because otherwise you are segregating them.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking about education system in general, thinking about how it, it does put a lot of pressure on teachers and children do you think it's an accessible curriculum do you think it's an accessible uh,
1: system? From ascend perspective no Mm. I definitely feel like whether whether the children that I'm thinking of maybe shouldn't have been in a mainstream I don't know yeah Um, because there were some children who had you know the reading the reading and writing and maths of you know a year two child Mm. and they're sitting in a class full of 30 children who can read the work on the board
0: and without a one-to-one
1: yeah, and, and they can't read. Mm. And then we did we did go through um, some classes and we picked our highest needs children and we put a learning mentor in them classes. Yeah. But it wasn't specifically to sit with one child. It was to support the room. Right. So we didn't... It wasn't, you know, sit next to that child because then a lot of these children as well didn't want you sitting next to them. Yeah. So when when that was my role, I went and checked in with a lot of children whether they were on the SEND register or not because then Mm. it made it look like I was there for everyone even though I was checking in on the SEND children and checking understanding but I made sure I checked in with lots of different children Mm. so they just thought oh Mrs Barnes is here to help
0: yeah and how about parents what do what did the parents feel about the school and the systems in place were they supportive did they put their trust over to all of you or were there parents that questioned your practice
1: I I think that depends on the parent, that yeah. we had both. We definitely had both. We had parents that, you know, couldn't sing my praises enough. And then there was parents that thought I wasn't doing enough. And it just was what their perception of my role was to be. Yeah. And I think especially year seven parents, if their child was statemented and they had a one-to-one for a certain amount of hours, they didn't understand why I wasn't sitting with their child for a certain amount of hours yeah. And and not realising that I had all these other children as well that I needed to, you know, check in with and support. And so and some some parents who maybe their statement came in later, like say in year nine, they then expected the kind of school to change for their child. But actually, in fact, we'd been putting the provisions in place before the statement was made, and that's how we got the statement. Yeah. Does that make sense? So we had kind of said to the local authority, we're doing all this extra stuff for this child. They need it. We need the funding for it and for them. So we would get the statement and then the parent would say, well, why haven't they got a one-to-one yet? And and they'd say, what's all the extra things that are going to happen? And I'd have to say, no, they've already been happening for a year or so. That's how we managed to get this for your child. Um, You know, this is now just giving us the funding for what we've been doing for them already.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And that's another part of the role is, you know, keeping detailed costs of the extra things that I did for each child or the extra things that children received... Um, so we could say, actually, this child needs all of this.
0: I know that the government report it said that in some cases pupils did not have written support plans at all, and this meant that um, parents and carers were not given the opportunity to co-produce support plans. What's your experience of that? Did Did your parents... Co-produce the plans. In I know that it might be that you don't know because it would have been the Senco's job. But were you aware of the parents being really involved in the decision making, the makeup of their day, and
1: not so much the makeup of the day. I know that they definitely have their say to receive um, in the EHCP. Mm. So their educational health and care plan. If they didn't have an educational health and care plan, there were things that we did in involvement with the parents. So you know, if we had a child who perhaps has been suicidal and you know the the parent is still sending them to school every day we would then liaise with the parent and say okay well they might say we want a check-in at lunch so we facilitated a phone call at lunch and and things like that just to without an EHCP there were things that we would do but only if it was within our capacity to do
0: yeah so something like that that you're talking about with with a student being suicidal what support are you working with that child and what support and training have you got to be working with them, or are there other people working with you to help you with that?
1: Along the lines of suicidal children, I would speak to pastoral straight away because they I feel like they've had more training than I had no training on anything like that. Yeah, so the expectation
0: um, wouldn't be that you deal with that, that issue.
1: I mean, yeah, the expectation was that I needed to go and speak to that child. Yeah. Um, sooner like um, sometimes the children would be in medical you know saying these things and i would get the call if i wasn't in a lesson or there'd be an email that's like so and so is here can you please come and see them but as soon as i heard you know suicide i would contact pastoral straight away and stay with that child until they came and then they would speak to the child and just and i believe they're trained to see what level are they saying i just want to die i'm really upset are they saying, I, "I, I definitely want to die, but I haven't quite thought about it," or you know, "I thought about this, and this is how I'm going to do it"?
0: Yeah. At what so stage? there was these
1: three kind of levels, but as soon as anything like that was mentioned, you know, we had to stay with them, phone the parents, and say to them, "You need to take them away, and". And this is um, this
0: is again, I think, thinking about this problem. It's again this idea of managing the situation once it's already occurred, rather than prevention. And and I think yes. as that's coming up in so much so many different areas of mental health and well being. And also actually the response to um the Sarah Everard case with the Metropolitan mm. Police, it's Boris Johnson says, Well, we'll get police out on the streets and it's like, Well, that's managing a situation that already exists. How are you gonna prevent yeah. these things from happening? And it's the same, isn't it? It's definitely getting
1: it getting there too late. We definitely did a lot on well being. But yeah. at the same time I feel like if you've only got a team of 11, yeah, trying to roll that out it's it's not going to happen. What
0: kind of and, things were in play?
1: Like we would we would do lunch clubs every day just so we could check in with children. Mm. Um but we also created like different powerpoints that would could be showed during um form times that you know had links, they had videos. We tried to um put videos that they would really connect with as well like Um, what's her name, Amelia, someone who does chicken shop date. Right. I think she did a video on mental health, which the children would recognise her. She normally interviews rappers and things. So we tried to give things that they could really engage with. Yeah. But if at form time the tutor is, you know, struggling with that class or the head of, um, who would have done it? Maybe is it not the head of person or PHSE?
0: Right, yeah.
1: She would give out all the all the tasks that were being done during form times, because a lot of it was like collaborative activities.
0: So is that happening every day with the form tutor, the PSHE?
1: Well, it, yeah, so she... The woman who ran form time would send out, like, an activity for the week, and it would be collaborative activities or things that was happening out in the world, kind of talking about them in school. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I couldn't tell you whether they were done or not. I know that I spent a long time kind of creating videos and powerpoints and slides and booklets that were meant to go out to all children and I I don't know if they did I um I definitely when when we went into our our second lockdown was it February this year I made sure that I kind of emailed all my mentees that I wasn't seeing because I was still in the school and you know every week I sent something out with you know well-being or mindfulness or anything just it's okay not to be okay and I'm I'm here if you Mm. want to talk to me and I'd built up quite a good rapport with students yeah so I felt like I was definitely checking in and like sometimes I sent them I sent all of mine like this little um just a string like a string based bracelet and it had like a little star on it Mm. And it was just something that I found because I had one. And I remember I would just sit and twist it when I was kind of in thought. And I thought, actually, yeah. that might be nice for some children. And just something that actually there's someone else who's not in my house that's thinking of me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I
1: made sure that I was kind of doing what I could. But it just felt like, like you said, it was just firefighting the whole time. We did um, we did promote... Um, like these well being we did like a well being week I think it was and every day every child got given this just this little piece of paper and it had like some faces on it and it was like, Which one are you today? Why do you think that way? And, mm. you know, is there anything that you want a teacher to come and talk to you about? And they were meant to hand like fill them out every day and hand them to their tutor so the tutor could, you know, overview them. Does yeah. anyone need any help? And every night for yeah, a week I was go into every single form room in the school and replenishing these slips I would go in and sometimes they would still be on the table from the night before
0: right they hadn't been used
1: yeah and I'm but I mean we did get some we did get some back and got to speak to some children and but it's not uniformed and it's almost like by the end of the day and it's 5 at nearly 5 o'clock and all these teachers are thinking wow I've like I've had this really long day I might have had four back-to-back lessons yeah. I need to mark them in they can sit there and read for a bit and then they can go
0: I think it's the it's the very beginning of the wellbeing journey for schools although it feels it's yeah. it's it is a buzzword it's it is out definitely. there but it we're definitely at the beginning of a journey and I think it's still at that bit where like you say these these things are being introduced but it hasn't been ingrained. And, Mm. you know, quite often we do see well-being weeks, well-being days, but actually what it comes down to is mindful teaching all the time. And to do that, we do need to be given more time as teachers and TAs and learning mentors um, so that we can ensure that these things are happening regularly and they're part of a child's life. It's the same with an adult, isn't it, when you're trying to get a mindfulness practice? It has to be a part of the day where you will always do it and you'll always remember to do it and... Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely a tick box exercise for many places at the moment. But I do I do think we're kind of on the right track with it. It's just the next step now. We need to be acting on it rather than just
1: talking about it. Yeah, you're spot on there. With, with a tick box exercise, there's so many things. That I thought I'm wasting quite a lot of time doing this because I know it's then not going to filter down the line. Yeah. And actually I could have gone and spoken to someone or checked in on a child that I really needed to check in on
0: well yeah when Ofsted visit you talk about those slips that you that you've that you do at your school even though they're not happening
1: don't you it's that mm. we're doing yes, this exactly. even though we're not or when when parents are saying what's being done and my child is so upset and they won't come to school and they've said this and they've said that and yeah you know there's a six week waiting for Bromley Y and there's mm. no spaces with the school counsellor then we can say oh actually We've given them a PowerPoint.
0: See, so like, having started your role, not work having not worked in a school before, what surprised you most about working in education, or just the education system in general?
1: Yeah, I definitely realised that it wasn't a kind of nurturing space and that it mm. was very much a business. I don't know if that's across all schools. This was a trust, so whether that makes a difference or not. But it was very... It was a business, and it was very, you know, offsetter come in, so this needs to do all the teachers know this or do all the teachers know that and like you said it's very much a showing that we're doing things but are we doing them every day
0: yeah well how do you think you change that where does that come from is it from up the top or is it should the staff be fighting back whose responsibility is it and and how how could you change that
1: i think it definitely comes from the top my experience there and i know there was a few staff that left when they said you know this isn't you know this school isn't what i kind of thought it was going to be or You said this was going to happen and it hasn't but because it's like very much like okay then you can you can go somewhere else because we can hire another teacher and the few teachers that when I spoke to them because you do become friendly with people and they would come and talk to you after school and Mm. they'd say you know "I, I thought it was going to be different or you know I've said this and because nothing's happened I've, I've found another job,
0: or they just leave teaching altogether, which is the saddest thing because we're, we, are, you know, we're getting people to sign up to teacher training. It's actually holding on to them that's the problem, mm. because in training is such a lovely place to be because it's so exciting and you can put your own personality on it. You can mm. use your strengths and and um, advance on your weaknesses and really develop as a person and and you think that's really going to help like you say in a pastoral way especially with the Mm. children and the reality is so different isn't it
1: and I think because we're still set on results yeah we're so results driven and I know they say now it's about the progress of a child not what's at the end but actually when they look at scores they're going to say how many of your children did really well But then they're not going to say how many of your children have left with a mental health illness or, you know, are struggling or, or, you know, how many of your children from your school had referrals to Bromley wine Cams? Yeah. Our society
0: is geared up to you know how many GCSEs have you got? Yeah. How many A levels have you got? Are you going to be going to university? Even though now so many people come out of university and can't even find a job. This so is it. Yeah. We do we do need an overhaul of the of the um, the education system. I will definitely put a link up to. I don't know if you've seen it, Helen, but obviously Ken Robinson is. Um, an, unfortunately died last year but an amazing advocate for changing the education system um and and really paying attention to individual children so i'll put a link up on the episode Mm. summary for that
1: yeah i definitely feel like there needs to be more of like a holistic approach you know yeah children aren't all going to be amazing at english maths and science but you know they could be incredible at woodwork mm. and why are we i just I, I don't know whether it's like an airy fairy land that i might live in but why are we forcing children to do these things that you know i do say to the children when they're like oh miss why do i have to do geography when i don't like it and i'm so you know it's like trying lots of different things yeah. because then you'll find something you love and think, Oh yeah, I'm going to follow that path. And maybe for a certain number of years, and I don't think it should be the four years that we force them or five years up to GCSE. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Maybe for one or two years, what are you really interested in? Because I definitely think children, when they're in year seven, that yeah. once they've finished year seven, they know what subjects they like and don't like. Yeah. They know what they're doing well in and what they're not. And why are there not different learning paths? Why are we forcing children down the same funnel?
0: Yeah, like a sausage that's, factory.
1: That's not life, is it? No.
0: And I think the sad thing is, is that if, if it so happens that maths or English is the thing that you're not good at, you're reminded of that several times in the week. Yeah. But actually, if you enjoy drama, you only get to enjoy being good at something once yes. a week. And that's yes. really problematic because your self-esteem
1: is just so low. So they, they rotated them. So they did one term of drama, one term of music, one term of art. Right. So if you loved drama, you only did that for one term of the year. So it wasn't wow. even every week you, you did that and then you didn't see it again until your next school year. Yeah,
0: Well, that's interesting. What did you most enjoy about the work as a learning mentor?
1: I was thinking about this and I definitely loved some of my colleagues. And I know that's nothing to do with the school itself. But yeah. I loved being back with adults. Yeah. And having that work, like them work friendships. And and then I realised that I used to spend a lot of my breaks and lunch. So if I wasn't doing a duty, and lunches I didn't do a duty, I would always go out into the playground. Yeah and just, just sit to be around
0: bench.
1: people yeah and I would sit on a bench and I would normally get the same children coming up to me they would sit with me and we would talk and, and I think that's what I really liked and I used to think oh I'm just I just get to sit and talk to all these kids about anything. Like, they would talk to me about what they were watching on Netflix. And, you know, sometimes I had children saying, oh, I'm the fastest runner in the year. And another one would say, no, I am. And I'd say, right, let's race. And I'd get them, you know, just little things like that. And I just thought I did really enjoy that. Yeah, and I I did really enjoy that. And even after I've left, I do think about some of the children. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're doing now. Like, what lesson are they liking or... How's their lunch times going? Does anyone else go and sit outside with them? Yeah, because that's so loved... lovely that you genuinely cared. Yeah, I, I, just, I just liked being out there with them. Mm. And I, sometimes I thought, isn't it nice I'm just getting paid to sit here and talk to them? Yeah. And then I'd think, oh, but I've got to go to a lesson next.
0: Yeah, isn't that funny <laughs> that you... you... I guess that's devalued in terms of your wage, in terms of what you're earning. Mm. You didn't see that as part of your job when it absolutely is. I've just read The Caring Teacher by Rob Potts, which is out in December. Um, And again, I'll put the link up on the summary so people can find it. But it talks about this, about how building a relationship with the children that you're working with, with the families that you're working with, is the most important part of your job. And children Mm. can see through people who don't genuinely care for them. And having that relationship, I would say, is probably the most important part. So it that is the part that should be earning you the money, effectively, yeah. even though we don't feel that way. Yeah. Why did I you leave?
1: I, I needed... So my childcare arrangements changed. I initially asked if I could reduce my hours. Yeah. So we were meant to be getting maybe four new learning mentors. So I said, oh, can, you know, if we're getting four new members of staff, can I reduce my hours and one of them can pick them up? Yeah. Um. So I waited for a while and I didn't really hear anything. So I... So I asked, I said, oh, what's going on? And they said, oh, they're just, you know, thinking about it. And I still didn't hear anything. And so I put in a formal request to the business manager of the school. Yeah. And they just came back and said no.
0: What reason like, did I, they
1: give? I, so I said to them, you know, if if I can't amend my hours, I'm going to need to resign. And it wasn't a threat. It was kind of, you know, yeah, laying out my reality. situation. Yeah. Yeah, This is this is what's going on. Please, can I do this? And... And um, so I could pick my children up from school, and Harry was going through an ASD diagnosis at the time, and mm. and I felt like I just needed to be around more for them.
0: Yeah.
1: And they said no because no one can cover your lesson at the end of the day. Oh, quite often I covered form times as well at the end of the day. Right. So if teachers had like booked training, they would always book it in the afternoon, and then I would end up covering form rather
0: than book a supply.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um and I I had that over a few lessons as well. Year nine maths and I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Wow. Um yeah, so I mean so many schools are
0: doing that now, using their teaching assistants and learning mentors to cover PPA time because of costs obviously. Yeah. And with and I COVID. Just
1: think, yeah, and I just thought I'm um I didn't want to be a teacher. I'm no. not trained to be a teacher. Yeah. A lot of the children don't they don't respect me as a teacher they respect me as like a an adult in the school that they can talk to and I feel yeah. like that's quite different yeah because you have these different relationships with children they'll probably talk to me in a way they won't talk to a teacher yeah so if I'm in their classroom I think that can be quite confusing for for them and they yeah. don't give me that same level of respect in a classroom no, that's
0: really hard isn't it to change roles like that within the same role it's you know you switching around it gets confusing yeah. for the children as well, but what? Um, how many weeks had you or months had you worked at the school when you requested these flexible uh, working
1: hours? It was definitely over six months. So, yeah.
0: So, because so, you're entitled, yeah. to, I mean, just for anyone that's listening and going through the same thing, all employees have the legal right to request.